They called the city Kerimaka, and in the morning we found it. It was smaller than what we expected, but it was certainly a city, and it was something to behold. There was a grand square with stones gathered about, and a high temple with steep steps on either side. We found fresh fires still smoldering in the heat of the day. Later, we searched for gold, but we all knew they were hiding it. When the morning came, we patrolled the city's limits. We lined up in staggered formation, and the bowmen did the same. The Incas did not show for quite a while. They tested our fear and expected us to retreat, but we were too obstinate and clearly too stupid to fall into their trap. Together, their madness and our madness proved to be most insufferable. Playing chess with Soto taught me many things, but what it taught me most was that the most dangerous time for men to be in were the times in between the moves. Most games ended right then and there, and this one was no exception. At sundown, we finally saw the Incas pour into the square. Then he made his entrance, Atahualpa, the Inca king himself. He was dressed in beautiful plumage, and he resembled a giant proud bird flocking over his dominion. He wore an enormous black and gold cloak made from bat skins, and he took his seat on his golden throne. We all stared at Atahualpa, but not directly. We stared at his golden throne. It all seemed too unreal, and it was a testament that we finally reached deep enough into the dream. I myself stared at Atahualpa's gold necklace. It went down all the way to his knees. I tried my best to wipe away the sweat from my palms. The translators went on. The formalities proceeded, and as a custom, Francisco approached Atahualpa first. The two giants... Pizarro, tall and thin and gray and bearded, and Atahualpa, thick, red, and royal. Each word that wasn't said was a prayer to save their souls. More Incas crowded the square. Then Atahualpa rose up from his throne and made his speech. The speech went on, and only certain phrases stood out. A sacred land, his people and his ancestors of a thousand years before. It was very brief. After the speech, a hundred more Incas gathered and aligned in a defensive formation. In a matter of seconds, we were outnumbered. And soon, a thousand more Incas poured into the square and surrounded the center and perimeter. We squirmed and we shook in absolute fright, but we stood our ground. Then Francisco took the stage. He used his body more than his mouth, and he made damn sure his face looked friendly. Francisco made a magical speech, but I forgot every word. All I remembered was what he asked Altawalpa for. Gold. He asked many times, and he extended his hand. But Altawalpa remained silent. Then the priest Valverde approached with a Bible in his right hand and a cross in his left. He made a speech about Christ and the Pope and some gibberish about wine and water. He sweated profusely and his 
brown, heavy robes were drenched, but he continued his speech, knowing full well no one on either side listened to a single word. Atahualpa drew a deep breath and yawned as loud as he could. The friar stopped in mid-sentence, and a hush followed. Then Atahualpa broke the silence and growled. He clutched his stomach and asked his servants for some fruit. The servants returned with a ripe papaya, which Atahualpa inhaled. He slurped and smacked and devoured, and the juices ran down from his mouth. Then he said we were welcome to stay the evening, and to our amazement, Francisco had accepted the offer. Afterward, Atahualpa departed, and so too did the other Incas. And we waited in the square until the next morning.